if you have your Bibles or want to follow along on you version, we'll be in John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And uh, if I were to ask you this morning to think back on Christmas past and think of one of the, your favorite memories of the holiday, I bet you probably have a few that's just stored up in your brain that, that comes to mind when I say, think of a Christmas memory. You know, maybe it's traveling. Maybe you would drive across the country and you would spend a lot of time with your family, uh, sometimes uh, good, sometimes annoyed, whatever the case, but you would travel together and you, you remember that. You think about, man, I remember traveling all the way across country to spend time with family. Maybe it's uh, uh, something that happened when you got to the, or wherever you were going, or when people came to your house, and uh, maybe things were great, or maybe things were chaotic, and maybe things were like Christmas vacation, and you had a squirrel running around your house. It was just that chaotic. Uh, who knows? But you probably have a memory of, man, I remember all my family gathering together, and sharing a meal, and just laughing and reminiscing. You know, maybe when you think of that memory of the holidays, maybe you think of a gift. And a lot of times that's where our mind goes, right? We think back to a gift we received, and uh, we could probably say this was my favorite Christmas gift that I've ever received, and now we have no idea where it's at. It's been uh, lost and replaced by the next greatest Christmas gift that we've ever received. Or maybe you still have that gift that you say is the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received, and maybe uh, it's sitting somewhere in your house, and uh, maybe uh, you point to it every year and say, hey, this is one of my favorite Christmas presents I've ever received. You know, and, and maybe that's what comes to mind when you think of gifts. Sometimes I think of gifts that I didn't appreciate when I was a kid. You know, like I, I look at it, I was like, oh great, another pack of socks. What am I going to do with this? Like I can't, can't do anything fun with socks. Now as an adult, I'm like, yes, all of the socks. Um, I could always use more socks. And, and we think of a lot of memories and we think of a lot of times gifts. The sad truth is, is we have the greatest gift that's ever been given. And yet, as we talked about last week, for so many of us, our minds are so distracted. Things are flashing in front of us that's commercialized, right? Everything we see on TV, all the ads for go and get this for Christmas, or you got to have this. And it's all these things that are flashing in our face. It's become so commercialized, or, or life is just so stressful during the holidays, and so many things are going on. Life just feels complicated, and our hearts are so far from what this season actually means. And for so many people, we don't even realize that the greatest gift that could ever be given has already been given to us. We just don't see it. We don't recognize it. We don't understand it. And so we've been, we started a new series last week called Among Us, and the idea of this is to prepare our hearts for a coming Messiah, for our Messiah who is to come and, and uh, man, help fix our broken lives, our brokenness. And to start, we talked about the beginning of John chapter 1 last week, the first five verses, and we talked about who the Word is. Jesus, this Messiah who is to come, He is the Word. From the very beginning, He was there. Jesus wasn't just created and, and you know, come, or was born and, and that's it. No, He was there from the very beginning before 
uh, everything was created, he was always there. Matter of fact, John tells us that all things were created through him, by him, for him. He was creator. He was there from the beginning. He is life and light. He brings us life. He brings us light. That is who he is. He has always been there. He is 100% deity. But this morning we're going to see the greatest gift that's ever been given is also 100% man. And in John chapter 1, 14 through 18, John gives us a couple of important truths that we need to reflect on, that we need to remember as we approach this holiday season, as we're in this holiday season, as we approach Christmas morning, this great gift that's been given to us. John will point out these two truths. And so what is the first truth? Well, the first truth comes in John chapter 1, verse 14. And it's this, the word took on flesh. The word took on flesh. This is what verse 14 says. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. There's a lot of stuff in this one little verse in verse 14. And it starts off by telling us that the word became flesh. The word became flesh. He is the incarnate son of God. He is the incarnate son of God. This is an important thing, incarnation. This is an important thing. It's a most important moment in history, but it's not just an important moment in history. It is a miracle that is central to all other miracles, the incarnation, this act of being made into flesh. God, who is 100% deity, comes, the word, and becomes 100% man and flesh. C.S. Lewis would say this in his book, Miracles on the Incarnation. He would say the central miracle asserted by Christians in the, or is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every miracle prepares for this or exhibits this, or results from this. Just as every natural event is the manifestation at a particular place and moment of nature's total character, so every particular Christian miracle manifests at a particular place and moment the character and significance of the Incarnation. There is no question in Christianity of arbitrary interferences just scattered about. It relates not a series of disconnected raids on nature, but the various steps of a strategical, coherent invasion, an invasion which intends complete conquest and occupation. The fitness and therefore credibility of the particular miracles depends on their relation to the grand miracle. All discussion of them in isolation from this is futile. This is it. This is the central miracle, and it was an important miracle. It's the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles. It's, it's so important that it would move Martin Luther to say this. He, Jesus Christ, or condescends to assume my flesh and blood, my body and soul. He does not become an angel or another magnificent creature. He becomes man. This is a token of God's mercy to wretched human beings. The human heart cannot grasp or understand let alone express it. This is an important moment, the, the incarnation, God taking on flesh. And here's the thing, this was prophesied, it was told that this would happen, that God would come and he would become man, he would take on flesh. In Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, it says, For to us a child 
is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He is the incarnation. He is God taken on human flesh. The word became flesh. I love what Augustine of Hippo once said. He said, He through whom time was made was made in time. And he, older by eternity that the, or than the world itself, was younger in age than many of his servants in the world. He who made man was made man. He was given existence by a mother whom he brought into existence. He was carried in hands which he formed. He nursed at breast which he filled. He cried like a baby in the manger in speechless infancy. This word with this word without which human eloquence is speechless. This moment in history, this miracle, it's important. He came, 100% God came down and took on human flesh. And you see, that's what he did. He came and he came in likeness of a man. He came and he took the form of man. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 9, it tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He came and he took on human flesh. And for so many, we talked about this last week, there's a lot of skeptics, there's a lot of people who doubt, and this draws sometimes a lot of, uh, a lot of doubt because it just seems like fiction that God would come and take on human form. It sounds like the stuff that you would read in a, in a fiction novel, but yet here he is, it's true. He came and he took on human flesh. But here's the thing, human flesh, it's not just physical, when it says he came and took on human flesh, this isn't just a physical thing. He wasn't just here in appearance as a man. No, it's also human nature. Flesh is human nature. What does that mean? Well, the fact that he came as flesh, the fact that he took on the human nature, it means that he can understand our suffering. He can understand our trials and our temptations. Hebrews chapter 4.15 reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And we have a high priest who has experienced the same temptations, the same trials that we have, yet the one difference is he did not sin. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 through 18 also reminds us, for this reason, we had to be made like them, or he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. 
because he came and took on human form physically and the human nature. He understands our struggles. He understands our trials, our temptations, because he walked through those. He, he experienced those things. And because of that, he is able to empathize with us and he is able to help us in our time of weakness and in our time of temptation because he has experienced these things. And so the word became flesh both in physical and human nature. And it says that he made his dwelling among us. This word dwelling, it's a Greek word that is skeno. Uh, skeno. And what skeno means, it means to make one's tabernacle. To make one's tabernacle. To set up your tent. This carries a lot of weight when you think about the Old Testament and how did people what was God's representation in the Old Testament? It was the tabernacle. And every room in the tabernacle was set up and it was designed to show the character of God and express who God was. And here we see that Jesus comes and he dwells among us. He tabernacles among us. He sets up his tabernacle among us. When God came as human form, he dwells with us. He set up that tabernacle amongst us and it says he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son when it says we've seen the glory john's likely referring to those who were there in that day but also we know that through his word and through the holy spirit we have seen when jesus came the dwelling of god amongst us we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only son you see his glory, his life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, it all points to his glory. And we see it's his one and only son. This phrase, one and only son, it's a Greek word. It's a compound of two different words. It means one and begat. One who is begat. So what this is saying is that while we could become children of God, there is one unique son of God. There is no other son of God like Jesus. He is God the son in flesh. There is no other there is no other. He is the only one. He is the only son who came from the Father. And he came full of grace and truth. And so we know that God took on flesh. The word took on flesh. 100% deity took on flesh. So he is 100% God and 100% human. And so what's the second truth? that John lists here. Well, it comes in verses 15 through 18. It is this. He brings grace upon grace. He brings grace upon grace. This is what it says in verse 15. It says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist is not who's writing this letter. This is John the Apostle, but he talks about here John the Baptist, and it was John who testified concerning him that this is the one who was to come. He was going to come after me, which he did, but he, even though he would come after him, he has surpassed me because he was before me. We talked about this last week. From the very beginning, the word was there. From the very beginning, the word was there, and so John is saying that from the very beginning he was there. He came, or I might have come before him, but he came after me, but he was always there. And this is important what John is listing here because John the Baptist fulfills the prophecy that comes 
out of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. And God has been orchestrating this, setting everything up. And John testifies to what was happening. And now, skip down to verse 17. Verse 17, it says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, in in order to understand verse 16, we have to understand verse 17. Verse 17 is super important in trying to understand Verse 16, in this idea of grace. You see, from Moses came the law, and from Jesus we receive grace, this unmerited favor of God. That is what grace means. It's God's unmerited favor. And you see, we needed grace because the law just wasn't working. But here's the thing. A lot of times we read the New Testament, and we think about the law, and we think the law was a joke. The law was a joke. I mean, so many times you read that because of the law, people got in trouble, and it was this burden that was placed around the people. The law seemed insufferable, and so uh, the law just seems like a horrible thing. But you see, the law was actually a great gift. The law was a great gift from God. It was a wonderful gift from God. In Romans 7, verse 7, Paul reminds us, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. The law wasn't the issue. Matter of fact, the people in the Old Testament, they needed the law. Exodus 33, 13, it tells us, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, The law was important because the law helped the people to live the way they were supposed to live. The law gave them the tools they needed to make sure they could live for him. But you see, here's the problem with the law. It's not the law in itself, it's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature that always gets us in trouble, that's the problem with the law. Romans 7, 8 through 10, it tells us, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And so where the law was once a good thing, an important thing, it became a means of death. It became a means of, I can never live up to the standard of the law. I could never live up to what the law tells me to do because my sinful nature, this desire in me to want to do what I know I shouldn't do. And so the law brought problems with it, not because the law in itself, but because of our nature, our human nature. And so we needed help. We needed help. We needed something to come and help us because the law wasn't working. And so we see the answer in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. He has brought us grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and we need his grace, and we need his truth, because Ephesians 2.8 reminds us, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans 3.24 reminds us, and all are justified freely by his grace, 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Man, grace is one of my favorite words. It's one of my favorite subjects. It's something that we so desperately need. We need God's grace. And the reason we need God's, or need, yeah, we need God's grace is because without God's grace, we cannot be saved. We can't be saved. We need his grace. That is what saves us through faith. It is his grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. You can't work hard enough. You can't do all of these things and say, okay, that's enough. No, you can't do anything to inherit it. It is only by his grace. John 14, 6 also reminds us that he's not just grace, but he is also truth. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am truth. The things you read in God's word, that is him. He is truth. He came and he taught and he preached truth. He is truth. He lived out truth. That is who he is. And so now that we understand verse 17, the law was once good, but because of our human nature, the law became a, a shackle to us that we couldn't overcome. We needed grace. And so he has brought grace. And in verse 16, he says this, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And some translations say it like this, we are, he has given grace upon grace, grace upon grace. And I like this quote that I read in a commentary. It's a really good quote. It says, Because of the fullness of his grace, one blessing after another comes to Christians as waves continue to come to the shore. The Christian life is the constant reception of one evidence of God's grace replacing another. And we are never without God's grace grace. It pours on us over and over and over again. As long as the waves go to the beach, as long as the waves hit the shore, that is the same thing for us with God's grace. It's over and over and over again. God gives us grace on top of grace on top of grace. And we know that we can go before God and we can receive his grace with confidence. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, so many of us are struggling right now. We're struggling. Life is tough. Things are difficult. The holiday season, all of these things, and we just feel like everything, all the weight of the world is crashing down on us, and what we really need is God's grace. We need God's grace and here's the thing, he gives us his grace every day. And he gives us grace in so many ways. He gives us grace in his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. All of these things is a sign of his grace in our lives. I love what Jerry Bridges once said. He said, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You are always in the reach of God's grace, but guess what? Our days are never so good that we are not reminded that we need God's grace. I constantly need God's grace. You constantly need God's grace in your life. We all need God's grace, and he gives it to us, grace upon grace, grace in place of grace. And so we need his grace, and so he continues on in verse 18. And he tells us this, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, 
and his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. Now, this may sound kind of tricky. How, what does that mean that, that no one has ever seen God? I mean, we do have moments in Scripture, right, where it seems that people have seen God. We know that Moses once saw God's back because no one could look at the face of God. But there's those accounts in Scripture where it seems like people have had moments of interaction with God. Isaiah, Adam, Abraham have had those moments in life where they've seen God manifested in, in some kind of form. Well, we usually refer to these as theophanies, this idea of mere appearances of God in another form. See, John 4 tells us that God is spirit, but Jesus gives us God in human form, something that we can understand. When we see Jesus, when, we, when Jesus came and made his life in human form, we have a picture of God he is God, and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I love what Mark Moore says in his Life of Christ commentary. He says, but Jesus, in a way that we could understand, in a form that we could survive, showed us what God was like. When we look at him, we see the actions and the character of God, cloaked in the form of a man. Verse 18 not only describes one of our greatest blessings in Jesus, it makes one of the boldest claims for his deity. We have seen God in human form, and he has given us grace upon grace upon grace. Cody talked about it doing his communion meditation. The greatest Christmas gift that we could receive, the greatest gift that we have, that we've received, is God loving us so much that he would send his son. The greatest Christmas gift of all time is his incarnation, because it is God taking on flesh, understanding our temptations and giving us grace and truth. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as the worship team comes up, here's the thing. The incarnation is so important, so very much important, because without it, we don't have our Savior. We don't have the Messiah. We don't have that forgiveness that comes from him. We needed the Messiah to come so that we could be forgiven. Second Corinthians 5.21, it tells us this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I like how C.S. Lewis says it, the Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Jesus came as a human form, came in human form, came in human nature to understand us, our sufferings, our trials, our temptations, to live those things so that he can empathize with us and he could pour out on us his grace. And maybe you're here this morning and what you need is grace. Maybe things have been difficult. Maybe life has been hard. And all you are thinking is, man, I just need God's grace in my life. I've never given my life to him and I've never received his grace, his life-changing, unmerited favor. And maybe you're here this morning and that, that's what you need in your connect cards around you. You can uh, say that you made that decision to give your life to him. You can come and talk to me or the elders. We'd love to talk with you. 
Maybe this morning you're here and life has just been tough and you've been, you know, like so many of us, take for granted who he is and what he's done. And maybe this morning you just need to come before him and you need to pour out your heart in front of him and ask for grace. Because his grace replaces grace, replaces grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And you can receive that grace. And so maybe all you need to do this morning is spend some time talking with him. Spending time praying to him, laying these things out in front of him. And the incarnation is the chief miracle. Everything comes from this, the death, the resurrection. It all starts, it all starts here with incarnation. And he brings with him grace and truth. And this morning, if you need grace, if you need to give your life over to him and receive that grace, if you need to pour your heart out to him and receive that grace, please do so this morning. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as we do, remember, if you need to, if you need that grace, I pray that you would do so. Pray to him. Come and talk with me. I'd love to talk with you.